If you got your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 14. Uh, we're in the second week of our unveiled series of how God makes himself known. We're looking at the gospel of John, which really is the gospel of God making himself known. And so uh, we will be in John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. So I apologize. I'm going to be reading a little bit that's not on the screens, and then the words will come on the screen starting with verse 15. So uh, John chapter 14, verse 12 uh, through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And Judas, who wasn't Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me and does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Father, your word is truly a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So I pray by it this morning, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you comfort us, would you teach us, would you challenge and change us? Would your son be our teacher this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you may not know this, but Allison and I actually got married uh, on the day the world shut down. Our anniversary is March 21st, 2020. And literally the day of our wedding, uh, we were in Panama City getting married, and they shut down all of the beaches. You couldn't go on the beaches anymore the day we got married. Uh, and so on our way home from our wedding, we literally had to stop at all public rest areas because those were the only things open. All the restaurants were closing down. All the gas stations were closing down. Uh, and so we started uh, our newlywed season literally in quarantine, went home from the wedding and went into quarantine. And one of the quirkiest things about being a newlywed couple uh, in the pandemic uh, was returning wedding gifts. 
believe it or not, returning wedding gifts. And like every other couple, we had been given two of certain things, and there were certain things that we thought we wanted, but we realized we didn't need, uh, had more, uh, more stuff than space than we know what to do with. So we wanted to return some things, but as you remember, all of the stores were closed during COVID, uh, which meant that the worst part of the quarantine began for Allison and I. Uh, we had to call these stores uh, to put in for a refund. And let me tell you what, it was absolutely awful. See, first, everyone is having to do this during quarantine because you can't go into a store. So the phone queues are hours long. Uh, and so we would sit on the phone for an hour. But also, and maybe more aggravating than anything else, everything on these big stores' phone lines is automated. So you're sitting there working through this automated system and you're going around in circles and circles. And it, it became pretty clear that we had a more complicated problem. And I think maybe you can agree with this. There's always a more complicated problem than the phone system knows how to handle. Uh, and so we would do that. We would try to get on these web chat apps with the people that you can live chat. And even that would take forever. And we weren't getting anywhere. And we were just so frustrated. And I remember Allison sitting in our living room, literally almost yelling over the phone, I want to talk to a person. I want to talk to a person. And why, why did she want to talk to a person? Well, because a live person over the phone, they could just understand us better, right? A live person would be able to hear our problem. They probably could problem solve a little bit better. They might be a little bit more sympathetic to us than a computer. And then also that person had a little bit more accountability because they have to listen to us talk to them than a computer. A computer can just write us off, but a real person, they have to listen to us talk, right? And there was so much benefit to when we got an actual person on the line. And isn't that just true for life in general, right? You think about when you were playing sports as a kid, right? It was always better to have a coach who is in person, right? You can go watch, you know, videos on how to do something. You can have software that can train people, sure, but it's always so much better when you have a person sitting right up in front and talking to you, right? Virtual schooling, right? Studies show that you actually do learn better when there is a physical person teaching you. So yes, we have all these platforms and whatnot, but it's actually shown, studies have shown that it is better when there is a physical person who is leading you through content. And so as we come to our second week of the Unveiled series, as we're thinking about how does God make himself known, we come to perhaps what is the most mysterious way that God makes himself known in that God reveals himself to us personally. He reveals himself personally in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. God literally comes to us. God literally dwells within us, and he leads us himself. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to circle back to John 14, when Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit. And what I want us to do is I want us to see how Jesus describes the Spirit. What is the Spirit supposed to do? And I want us to notice before we start any conversation about the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus holds two things in tension. One, Jesus acknowledges that the Spirit is a mystery. The Spirit is God himself, and as creatures, it is going to be hard to completely wrap our minds around him. We are not going to completely understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a mystery. However, the second thing, is that it is the Spirit's job to make God known. The reason we know God's love, 
The reason we understand God's word, the reason we're empowered to walk in God's ways is because of the help of the Holy Spirit. So what I want us to do is I want us to look this morning at the ways in which the Spirit reveals God himself. How does the Spirit reveal God himself? And he's at work within us, and he's vital to knowing God. So what are those three ways uh, that I think the Spirit reveals God? Well, first, it's God's love. Then it's God's word. And it's God's will. So we're going to look at that through John 14. And uh, the first thing that we see is the Spirit reveals God's love. And uh, so as we turn to John 14, this text actually comes in the midst of Jesus's final address to his disciples. This is literally one of the last things he'll say. If you go down to the end of chapter 14, uh, Jesus is going to signal that it's time to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is the last time that all of the disciples will be in the room together until after Jesus is resurrected. Uh, And at the beginning of this section, Jesus notes that as he goes away, uh, he will send another helper to be with them. And this word helper is extremely important to understand because if you've read many Bible translations, you know that there are a lot of different words uh, that can be substituted for helper that people have translated it over the years. So uh, that word is paraclete in Greek. Uh, And it has been translated, and you've probably heard some of these, helper, comforter, counselor, advocate. And there are some Bible translators who just choose not to translate that word. They say paraclete. And the reason they do that is because they say all of the ways that we translate it are right, and you just can't fully define the word paraclete in English. It is such a full word that we just can't get at it with one word. And so they'll just choose to leave it, uh, paraclete. And when you look at this word, oftentimes what you'll find is you find it in legal settings, uh, in legal writings, in legal documents. Uh, And the paraclete Uh, in that society was the legal representative uh, who made a case in court. He was the advocate that stood alongside someone. And so the question that we should be asking is, okay, well, if the spirit is a paraclete, if the spirit is a helper, then who is he advocating for? Well, first and foremost, he's advocating for us, right? The spirit works in us. The spirit intercedes for us. Tim, when he was preaching on Romans 8 a few weeks ago, talked a lot about how the Spirit intercedes for us. So I would encourage you uh, to go back and listen to that if you haven't already. But as the Spirit is advocating for us, what I want to emphasize this morning is not only is the Spirit advocating for you, but the Spirit is also advocating for God. See, it is by the Spirit that God makes himself known to you. And it's by the Spirit that God enables you to receive him. Look at verse 18 with me. Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will not see me, but you will see me. Why is that? Well, it's because the first and foremost role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the power and the lordship of Jesus to you. Right? Throughout the passage, notice there's two groups that are being talked about. Right? There are those who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and those who follow his commandments. And then there are those who do not. There are those who follow the commands and there are those who do not. And generally, we describe that and we talk about that and we chalk it up to the fact that you know, whoever chooses to follow Jesus, they're the ones who are going to get the Spirit. And whoever chooses not to follow Jesus, 
They're the ones who won't get the Spirit, right? It's all based on our love for God. It's all based on our obedience, and that's something that we can control. And sure, there's truth to that. But I want to go back to the text because Jesus says this, in a little while, the world won't see me, but you will, right? It begs this question, how can you follow something you can't see? How can you follow someone who has not revealed himself? And so what Jesus is noting that when the helper comes, something happens. Something happens which allows certain people to see and others to not see. And friends, that is the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the first job of the Spirit is to glorify Christ in your heart and mind. The first job of the Spirit is to reveal the truth of the gospel to you. And this is because we're in sin, and sinners, without any help, we can't see that. We can't acknowledge it. We can't be convinced of the truth of the gospel on our own. And that's because in sin, we're irrational creatures. We're irrational creatures. We aren't illogical creatures. We have reason, we have intellect, but we're irrational creatures. And what do I mean by this? Well, to show you and to illustrate this to you, uh, I want to tell you about a trip that I went on with students to uh, some springs. Uh, And it's getting late in the day. Uh, It's time to head back to the church. And so we're rallying everybody uh, back to get get in the vans and head back to the church. Uh, And I see one student in particular who is over by this jumping platform. And I walk over to him specifically and start telling him, hey, it's time to go. We're running late. We have to get back to the church. And this student looks me in the eye, nodding, understanding, comprehending, turns around, runs to the jump platform, and jumps off again. And here I am, just a little bit dumbfounded. I thought I was very clear about the instructions, thought I was very clear about the reasons why we needed to go. Uh, And the student jumps back on the platform, runs over to me. And before I can even say anything, he goes, Tyler, I am just so sorry. I know you said not to do it, but I just really wanted to jump again. Now, he wasn't being illogical. He had all of the information. He knew what I said. He comprehended it. He understood it. But what was at the core of his decision-making? Was it logic? No. It was his desire, right? He made an irrational decision because he had all of the information, but his desire suppressed the truth. If you go later in Scripture to Romans 1, uh, it talks about the fact that sin makes us irrational. Romans 1.21 says this, For although they knew God, for although they had the Scriptures, although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, sin covers our eyes to just how bad our problem is. And there is nothing we can do on our own to reverse that. See, without outside help, we will choose ourselves again and again and again because that is what a sinful heart wants. A sinful heart wants to be in God's place. And so you can preach God's word. You can tell them God's commands. 
You can give them God's love and preach God's love, but a heart that is darkened by sin will always push it away because all it wants to do is glorify itself. See, the sinful human heart on its own will never choose God. And so, enter in the Holy Spirit. See, it is the Spirit that first and foremost allows us to see, right? It's the Spirit that brings the initial light to the darkness. It's the Spirit which allows us to see the true depth of the problem. It's the Spirit which gives us the ability to humble ourselves against our natural instinct, right? I once heard this analogy that if we're truly dead in sin, if we're truly dead in sin, not dying, but dead, then how could dead people figure out a way to make themselves undead? Dying people might be able to save themselves, but dead people cannot. And that is what the Spirit does. See, the Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings new creation. The Spirit brings the ability to be born again. See, it makes us alive. So before you ever said yes to Jesus, the Spirit was working inside you to show you just how deep the problem was. And he revealed to you the power of God's love in the gospel. So the Spirit reveals God's love, but also the Spirit reveals God's word. And I want to say two things on this from the text. First, in verse 16, uh, Jesus says that he will send another helper. And I think we've read this passage. You've probably read it many times. You've probably jumped over this word, but Jesus says he will send another helper. And when we think about the Spirit, I know that oftentimes you probably, your mind wanders to thinking about charismatic gifts and fruit of the Spirit, and that's what you want to talk about when we're talking about the Spirit. But I think oftentimes we miss the fact that the Spirit is another paraclete, meaning we already had another paraclete, meaning Jesus himself, right? And so the, one of the chief roles of the Holy Spirit is actually continuing the ministry that Jesus already had here on earth for a time, right? Jump down to verse 26. Jesus says, and the Spirit will teach you all things and bring to remembrance the things that I have said, right? The Spirit is always pointing backwards. It's always pointing backwards. In the Old Testament, you notice the Spirit was always pointing forward, but now in this time in redemptive history, the Spirit is always pointing backward, and he is to illuminate what has already occurred, right? The Spirit is to bring understanding. The Spirit is to remind you of what Jesus has taught, right? The Spirit literally reveals God's word, and the role of the Spirit is to allow you to see God both accurately and personally, accurately and personally. And uh, to show you this, uh, when I was in college, uh, I was part of a Christian fraternity. It was called Kappa Phi uh, at the University of Florida. Uh, and in my fraternity, it was filled with anybody from a Catholic to a Pentecostal. I mean, we ran the gamut. And, but most of my fraternity brothers were all Baptist Pentecostal leaning, uh, which was great. I love all my fraternity brothers. Uh, but every year, we would have our sponsor church host a college Sunday in which we would all come help with the service. And the sponsor church was First Presbyterian Church of Gainesville. Uh, of which I was the only student who actually attended that church. 
And so we would do College Sunday, and it became kind of this tradition every year to now rag on the lone Presbyterian in the fraternity about just how dry the Presbyterian service was. And they would come to me, and they would say, Tyler, that service, it's so dry. It's so emotionless. They write their prayers. The organ, can we, can we throw that organ out? And they would talk about the fact, and they would eventually get to this point. They would say, Tyler, I just don't believe that that service is spirit-led. I don't believe that service is spirit-led. And I would listen them out. I would hear them out, and I would talk to them. And what it came to, and it became pretty clear that when they said the word spirit-led, what they were meaning is powerful worship, right? Engaging intimacy with God, authenticity, vulnerability, open space. And in order to have the spirit be able to lead, you would have to have more impromptu preaching prayer and worship, and then you probably needed a little bit more emotion in the service. And here's the thing. I'm not actually against those things, right? We want our worship to have power because this is the gathering of God's people, right? We want our worship to be heartfelt because we are truly lifting up our hearts before God, right? We want our worship to not be rigid because that communicates that we might have other priorities outside of God and spending time uh, in worship with his people. But I would always go back to this verse as to what it truly means to be spirit-led. To be spirit-led means to be led to God both accurately and personally. And biblically, being spirit-led does not mean authenticity, emotion, open space, which are all good things. I'm not bashing those things. Those are good things. But to be spirit-led means that the spirit is helping us grasp and understand God's word, and then revealing it to us in such a way that it changes and transforms the way we live our lives. That is what it means to be spirit-led. And that, if that's your definition, that can be done in many different ways, whether prompted or unprompted, prepared or unprepared, emotional experience or not, long seasons of change and obedience in a certain direction, or short transformational encounters. But we are always spirit-led back to God, to know him accurately and personally. Accurately. That's why we pray before every sermon. That's why we get up here and we offer a prayer of illumination because God's word needs illumination. We ask the spirit to guide us, to bring to attention things that we need to hear, to help us know God better, right? Personally, maybe when you're talking with your friends, and maybe you've had this happen to you or a friend has done this, when you feel like God has put scripture on your heart to tell uh, your friend, you know, and you can bring to bear things that scripture has said on a certain specific situation uh, with your friend or family member, right? That's the spirit. The spirit is always trying to draw us back to the word. It's always trying to draw us back to the things that Jesus has said, um, when I was in Orlando, I was asked uh, by a student, and every youth pastor kind of dreads this question, but I was asked if God had ever audibly spoken to me before. Um, and I said, I had not had the privilege of God audibly speaking. I don't deny that that can happen. God can do that. Uh, but he had never done it to me. But I did say that God has spoken to me before. And he, he asked me, what was that like? And I said, well, uh, it was a nudge in my spirit that I felt like I had to do something and I knew it was God because every time that I opened scripture, I felt that similar nudge, right? The spirit 
is making us familiar with God's words. If you go back to Jeremiah 31, what's the Spirit's job? To write the law on your heart. And so often the Spirit will nudge us with knowledge of the word. The Spirit will make things stick out. It'll make you maybe feel guilty and convicted when you read certain things. It'll remind you of certain things and comfort you in times of need. And passages sometimes will just very quickly come to mind or come to the lips of your friends and family or in your own study. See, the Spirit is always trying to draw you back to the living word to help you understand it and also to help you believe it. So the Spirit reveals God's love, the Spirit reveals God's word, and then finally, uh, the Spirit reveals God's will. And going back all the way to the beginning of the passage that I read in verse 12, Jesus says this, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will they do, because I am going to my Father. That is a weird statement, isn't it? Greater things will we do than Jesus? Wait, what on earth does Jesus mean by that? That statement has always had me so perplexed. And to start with the answer to that question is Jesus is not trying to say that you're going to do greater works than the cross, right? That is a once for all complete work that only Jesus can do. And that is the greatest thing uh, that he could do for our salvation. But what the whole passage is trying to lead us towards, it's trying to push us towards, is that God is pleased to reveal his kingdom through us. That God is revealing himself through us. Because we're his image bearers. We are his instruments. We've literally been called to co-labor with God in his kingdom on earth. And it's the spirit, it's the spirit that empowers us to do this work, right? We do greater things literally in the sense that Jesus, while he was on earth, uh, he was with disciples and certain crowds. But at the end of the day, it was the disciples commissioned by the spirit who went out and began to press the churches to the end of the earth. It's us today commissioned and sent by the Holy Spirit who are pushing the gospels to the end of the earth or the gospel to the end of the earth. And that's why Jesus says in Acts 1, the spirit will come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But I think back to World Mission Conference uh, last year when we were having this conversation about what does it look like for us to be on mission with God, right? God's mission has a church. What does it look like for us to engage in the mission of God? Uh, And I remember listening to some of this stuff and kind of feeling afraid. I don't know about you, but feeling this sense of fear, right? Because I think it's been so ingrained in us that in order to accomplish God's mission in the world, in order to actually be useful to God, right, we need to reach this certain level of maturity, of development. We need to know certain things. We need to be this level of Christian before we can be useful to God for anything. And we've told that lie to ourselves again and again and again. I've heard it when people have friends who don't believe, and they're just afraid of having a conversation with them, and they'll say something along the lines of, well, I just don't think I know enough to talk to them, so would you talk to them? Or maybe it's when someone close that they know is in suffering, and they don't want to step in because they're just afraid, you know what, I don't think I have the words to say. I don't know what to say, so would you do it? But the Spirit is here. And Jesus reminds us that the Spirit doesn't come behind those who are already fit for ministry, 
those who already have all the gifts, all the development, all the maturity, that's not who the Spirit comes behind. He doesn't equip the, or he doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the call. I remember uh, during my intern years in ministry, so I was fresh, freshman in college. Uh, it was the first talk that I ever gave. Uh, I remember being really nervous about it. I was speaking to a room of sixth graders, uh, and I was you know, so ready to finally teach the word for the first time, and I'm praying, God, would you use me uh, in this talk? Like I feel you know, so excited, and I got up there, and friends, let me tell you what, it was the biggest dud you have ever heard. I mean, I could not get a thought out. It was not clear. I'm not even sure what I said. I, it was awful. And I remember going, well, the Holy Spirit wasn't in that, was it? Because the Spirit would have made me clear. The Spirit would have made it all go really well. And it was frustrating. And it wasn't until five years later, on the night that was my last day in Orlando before I was coming here to Thomasville. Uh, and one of those sixth graders who was then, now in high school came up to me out of the blue and reminded me of something I said in that talk. And he's like, you know what? I've never forgotten that. Now, what happened there? Was it the spirit made me a super Christian? He, you know, buffed me up and made my talk come out great. And that's why the student understood it. Absolutely not, right? Actually, the spirit used me in spite of my weakness, the Spirit used me in spite of my brokenness. While I'm still a work in progress, the Spirit is using me, and all I had to do was trust that God could use me and let him. Right? You see, the Spirit does that for all of us. The Spirit is not waiting for you to be perfect. The Spirit is not working on you, working on you, working on you, and going, you know what, now you've reached the point where now I can use you uh, for my mission in the church. No, while we are still works in progress, while we are still broken, the Spirit comes through and he leads and he reveals God in us. Not because of anything we did, but because it's God himself. And God is pleased to use you as his instrument. That's why he gave us the paraclete. That's why he gave us the helper in the first place, right? God doesn't need much. I think scripture testifies to that. God doesn't need much. All he needs are his people to be willing to be used and allowing his spirit in us to take care of the rest. I'll close with this quote. Um, I love it by A.W. Tozer uh, in his book on the Holy Spirit. And he says this, the Holy Spirit is indivisible from the Father and the Son, so that if you were to be suddenly transferred to heaven itself, you would not be any closer to God than you are right now, for God is already here. Let me read that again. The Holy Spirit is indivisible from the Father and the Son, so that if you were to be suddenly transferred to heaven itself, you wouldn't be any closer to God than you are right now, for God is already here see in our lives and in our walks of faith, Jesus has promised not to leave us as orphans and as those without his presence, right? The spirit is our paraclete, God himself who dwells within us and makes God known both to us and to the world around us, right? He reveals the truths of the gospel and helps us to believe. He illuminates God's word and helps us 
to know him accurately and personally. And finally, he reveals God to the world, even in our brokenness, even as we're works in progress, so that all might see and know him. So what a gift it is to be led by God personally, by a compelling Holy Spirit who longs to awaken us to his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good, and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, one who longs to guide us and teach us, to remind us, to comfort us in times of grief, and to empower and strengthen us to live as your witnesses on this earth. So Lord, we ask that we would be sensitive to your leading, that we would trust, that we would be allowing ourselves to make ourselves available to trust that we don't have to have it all together, but that your Holy Spirit in us is enough because it's you, God, who are revealing yourself through us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.